It's nice to be back. I'm going to... Well, before I pray, let me also update you on a few little things. Um, <clears throat> Pastor Charlie has given you most of it. These flowers, of course, at the front here, they're from Nola's funeral the other day. For those of you who are new or don't know who Nola was, she was a lady who uh, was 101 years old back in August and lovely, lovely lady who loved the Lord passionately and was a faithful prayer warrior. Had a great service and send-off for her and and then Jem Menden, the week before that, she likewise, she was in her 90s, 94, I think, and likewise, a lady who had served very faithfully, remarkable stories of these two godly ladies. Um, <clears throat> so that's what the flowers are about, and these flowers to the side. And that, you'll notice some physical changes back around the kitchen. You may, as you drove in this morning, may have noticed there's a large shipping container down the back of the shed that's been donated to the church as extra storage. And Charlie will come back, at, Pastor Charlie will come back at the end and he'll remind you that you need to exit the building on this side only. Please don't go back to the front. It's now a forbidden zone for all of you people. Okay? It's weird, I know. It's different. And it's going to be awkward not to go up and hug each other. That's all I want to do to that man over there. And I've been trying to do it for three years now. He won't let me near him. <clears throat> um, it is good to be back uh, in some limited capacity. So please continue to pray and please continue to be faithful in your giving. Uh, God is certainly changing some things and developing some things and we have some plans for the future that we want to talk to you about. The pastoral team is continuing to meet and to work on some of the governance issues we spoke about towards the end of last year and that should be coming back to you. And somewhere between now and Christmas, we have to hold a members meeting. So we'll try to do that maybe like this or it'll be a combination of online and in-person or something like that. So please pray for that, we need wisdom. We're continuing our series this morning. Pastor Brendan is down in the activity centre uh, looking after the kids and then the week after that, of course, the kids are going back to Hope House, the marquee will go up. Things will be different for the next two or three weeks and normally we have a break in the school holidays but we are going to continue the kids' program through these school holidays because they've just come back together for a couple of weeks. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the opportunity for us to have some contact, certainly uh, live, but thank you for the ongoing contact online. You are the same. Your word doesn't change. So we ask that your Holy Spirit might now open our hearts and um, discipline our minds that we might understand this passage of Scripture and what it means for us as we seek to know who Jesus is and to serve and honour him. Lord, speak to us, we pray, in his name. Amen. Just in terms of background, we're in Luke chapter 20, and it's the parable of, it has various names, the parable of the tenants, the parable of the wicked tenants, the parable of the, the farmers, um, the parable of the son who was murdered. It might be a more accurate title for all of it. In terms of background... The Lord Jesus' authority has been displayed and Luke 20 brings us to the final week of Jesus' life before his crucifixion on Good Friday. Um, back in chapter 19, the Lord Jesus has entered Jerusalem on a donkey, demonstrating publicly his authority that he was the promised king. When he came into on Sunday, when he came into Jerusalem, he then left went out to Bethany, came back on the Monday, and probably on the Monday, takes a whip. And for the second time in his ministry, he had done it at the beginning of his ministry, he's now doing it at the end. It's like bookends of his ministry. He cleanses the temple. 
probably has the disciples somehow standing in various places so that you, nobody else could enter. He shut the temple down for a period of time. The reason he shut the temple down was because he had observed uh, some terrible things that had been going on over those, in between, over those times. You know, John Charles Wesley wrote a, a poem which became a hymn, Gentle Jesus, meek and wild, mild, look upon this little child. You know, Jesus not um, gentle or mild. He's more like lethal Jesus, mad and riled. He's furious. And the reason he is furious is because of what was going on in the temple. This is the background to this parable, this story. <clears throat> People would come from all other nations to Jerusalem to worship God. They wouldn't bring animals with them. So when they got there, the Jewish leaders had arranged that for them that they could purchase an animal, a suitable animal, a, one without blemish, that they could then offer as a sacrifice, whether it was a pigeon or a sheep or a cow or whatever it was, a bull, depending on the level of the sacrifice you wanted to give. But of course, the, it was an exorbitant price. It was highly inflated. It's like COVID hotels that you have to go and stay in, isn't it? Those prices are highly inflated. Just as a tide track, my daughter is expecting and she's giving birth in December. And so we are going to New South Wales come December to assist with all of that. And uh, that means if we go, and we're going, um, when we come back, if the border thing doesn't change, then we'll have to pay $400 a night to stay in a hotel. $3,000. A lot of money, isn't it? It's a rip-off. Well, that's what's going on in the temple. It was a rip-off. They were having animals for people who would travel and they'd charge at exorbitant prices. Of course, travellers would come from other places as well and they wouldn't have the right coins. You had to have a Jewish shekel to go into the temple treasury. There was Roman coins and Jewish coins. So the Jews arranged to have uh, financial currency exchange. But of course, at an exorbitant rate again, a high exchange rate. So they were ripping people off there. If you were a local person, you could bring your own animal to the temple for a sacrifice, but it had to be inspected. And of course, they would find a blemish. Oh, your animal's not accepted. You need, we can help you. You need to purchase one of our animals. And then they would take that animal, which had been rejected, and they'd recycle it. They'd turn it around, and in a couple of weeks, it'd be part of their group. They were more interested in making money. They turned the worship of God into a business, and their hearts were far from uh, loving God and expressing that to Him. And Jesus calls them out on it. He calls them thieves. Uh, this house is a house of prayer and you've made it a den of robbers. So here is Jesus now each day. He's in the temple. Each night he'll go to Bethany, just a short walk out of the city. And each day he'll return to the temple from Sunday till Thursday, where he will be sitting and teaching the people. It's in that context that we come to Luke 12. One day Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news. The chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. They are the three branches of the Sanhedrin. This is the Supreme Court. They had met. Who does this guy think he is? He's ridden a donkey and proclaimed himself to be king. He's cleansed the temple and shut it down. This needs some answers. An investigation has to come. So a, a group approaches Jesus and they say to him, verse 2, tell us by what authority you are doing these things. And who gave you this authority? Jesus then replies to them, I'll ask you a question first. John's baptism, was it from heaven 
Those are from people, from human origin. They turned and discussed amongst themselves and they thought the reality is if they gave a truthful answer, that would be the answer to their question as well. But they avoided it. They're cowardly and deceptive. They're lying. So they discussed it among themselves and they said, if we say it's from heaven, John's baptism was from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say uh, it was of human origin, then all the people will stone us because they're persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, um, we don't know. So which Jesus then says, well, then neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things because they're not interested. They had another motive and so on. Jesus has asked a question. Now he'll go on to tell a very pointed story. This is the last full parable the Lord Jesus would tell, um, certainly in the Gospel of Luke. And it's more of an allegory than it is a parable, and it's about himself. Jesus is telling a story to the crowd with the leaders listening, and it's really about what's going to happen to him. He's not going to be taken by surprise. He's fully aware of what's going to happen, and he's told the disciples ahead of time, we're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be killed, but on the third day I will rise again from the dead. So Jesus tells them this story this parable this allegory in order to move them back into a relationship with god that's what motivated jesus all the time jesus says verse 9 um, a man planted a vineyard he rented it to some farmers tenants and went away for a long time at harvest time he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard some of the profits um, but the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, and that one also they beat, treated shamefully, dishonoured him in some way, and sent away empty-handed. He sent a third servant, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? Everybody listening knows what the answer to that is. What should you do? should report them to the authorities and you should come and take your land back. It's yours. That's what you should do. But the, the owner says, I will send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. When they see him, they'll realise that he is the rightful heir. They'll realise that they've done the wrong thing and that they will submit to him and to his rightful authority. But the tenants saw him. When the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard, killed him outside the vineyard. Didn't want to stain the grapes with blood. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? Jesus asks. What will the owner do? He's been remarkably patient. Send a servant, send a servant, send a servant. Even send his son. What's the owner going to do? Jesus answers it. He will come and he will kill, he'll execute those tenants and he'll give the vineyard to others. He'll give it away. When the people heard this, they said in the NIV, God forbid. It's difficult to translate into English, but it's really, no way. No way is that going to happen. They understood what Jesus was saying and they were repulsed by it. And then Jesus quotes a prophecy which we'll come to in a moment so here is the lord jesus in the temple teaching with authority and making some pointed comments his authority has been challenged 
And now, in this story, his authority is going to be rejected. There was a man who owned a piece of land. In Israel, the land was either on flat, where you would grow crops, or it may be on a hill, which is where you would terrace it, and you would grow vineyards and orchards and things like that. And then this man is obviously a very wealthy man because he built a vineyard, terraced it, supplied it, and then he was going to go and live a long way away. He still owned it. It was a, a long-term investment for him. It would go for generations. It would take three or four years before the crops, the grapes, would come into fruit. And so during that period of time, he would be supplying um, whatever was needed for the vineyard and for the tenant farmers. He would be supporting them for that period of time until the first harvest came. Um, and these tenant farmers, obviously, they put a lot of work into pruning it and cultivating it and looking after it for that period of time. And they began to think that they didn't just possess this vineyard, but in fact they owned it. They didn't own it. But they started to adopt that attitude that they did. When the three or four years was up, the owner sends that first servant who comes to pick up what is rightfully his. The owner would have entered into a contract with the tenants, the farmers, and the contract either would have been a fixed amount, you'll pay me X amount of dollars or whatever, shekels, for each harvest, or it was a percentage of the harvest, depending on whether it was a bumper crop or a struggling crop that year, then he would get a percentage. Either way, it was a contract that had been worked out, but the tenant farmers did not honour the contract and they wanted to keep it all for themselves. So they served, the first servant they did was beat him and then sent him away empty-handed. He sends another servant, probably at the end of the next harvest. A year has passed. And he sends a third servant, probably at the end of the third harvest. So now, these three years, on top of the first four or f three or four years, it's become a long time. And he has nothing to see for his investment, no return. The owner is demonstrating incredible forbearance, isn't he? Sending a, a servant, mistreated, sends another servant when he had every right to, you know, execute judgment upon them. And then eventually he says, I know what I'll do, I'll send my son, my only son, my beloved son. When they see him, they'll see that he looks like me and they'll remember our contract and he expects them to submit to the rightful son, the heir. But they, of course, as we read, they take him and they kill him. Um, thinking that by doing that, they will then be not just in possession of the vineyard, but they'll be the owners of it. That while the owner wanted to return, they didn't want to participate. They wanted to keep everything for themselves. Well, the owner's patience ran out and he came and he executed the tenants, bringing them to justice. He reclaims full possession of that which is his own and then he appoints others, enters into a contract with them. And the people understood it. They got it. The people understood it and the leaders understood it. And when they said, no way, this could never happen, then Jesus says, verse 17, Jesus looked directly at them and said, then what's the meaning of this prophecy? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone or the capstone, however you translate it. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Verse 19, the teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately 
because they knew that he had spoken this parable against them. But they were afraid of the people. This is Passover time. Psalm 118 is one of the psalms that the, the uh, pilgrims would have sung coming into the temple. Psalm 118 is, contains this very quote, the stone the builders rejected has become the chief stone, the cornerstone, or the capstone, if you like, the most important stone. In the parable of the story, the son is the one who was rejected and killed. In this prophecy, it is the stone which is rejected, but which is exalted. Jesus is speaking about himself. He's speaking about his own imminent death, but also his impending exaltation. Then the stone will smash and crush the opponent's. When the authorities came to Jesus in the very beginning of the chapter and said, by what authority do you do this? It's like in chess, they would say, check, we've got you. Jesus, by asking a question, telling a story, and now by reminding them of a prophecy that his authority, in fact, has been predicted, it's check, mate, and they know it. That's where the intensity will rise for them to remove him. So Jesus has asked a question, told a story, and he quotes a prophecy. As you go through the stories and chapter, it contains a huge amount of information, but I just want to bring one point home. It talks about the coming of the Son, the incarnation. It talks about the death of the Son, the Son being killed and the stone being rejected. It talks about the exaltation of Jesus, the stone being exalted talks about the owner's anger being under control with incredible forbearance and patience and grace demonstrated. Um, talks about an inheritance, talks about judgment, talks about fruit is expected. The Lord Jesus' authority has been challenged, it's been rejected by the leaders, and now his authority has been predicted. The question is, how do we respond to Jesus? How do we respond to his authority? Not just academically, but personally. Jesus claims authority in all of our lives, in every area. He says in Matthew 28, after the resurrection, when he's about to ascend to heaven, the last words of Jesus to the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples. From the bottom of the sea to the top of the mountains, from the depths of the grave to the heights of heaven itself, the Lord Jesus has complete authority. He rules. It all belongs to him. When he was on earth, it says, Mark chapter 2, that he has authority on earth to forgive sins. It says um, in John's gospel, uh, John chapter 1, he has authority to give the right for us to become children of God. In John chapter 6, it talks about he has the authority to judge because that's been given to him by the Father. Jesus has all authority. But we, as people, have been in rebellion against him. This story that Jesus tells these leaders particularly, but the crowd was, rebellion results in ruin. Don't rebel. Don't reject. But rather, repent and you'll experience restoration. And then, of course, fruit is expected from our lives as fruit was expected from the harvest. So the question is, who is Jesus to you? Is he your master? Is he your Lord? Are you under his authority in every area? If we submit, fruit is expected. If we don't submit, 
then we will be crushed. All authority belongs to him. And Jesus tells this story to this group of people to bring them into submission. And we hear it. What's our response going to be? I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, Jesus is Lord, King of Kings, Sovereign Lord over the entire universe, made us in his image and he calls us to live and be in submission to him. Heavenly Father, we pray firstly for ourselves. Forgive us for our rebellion. Forgive us for times when we have been disobedient. Forgive us for the times that we have delayed our obedience. Lord, we want to bow before you and humble ourselves, asking for your forgiveness and your empowering, acknowledging that you've been very patient with us, but you are the sovereign Lord and you will examine us for fruit in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit, the character of the Lord Jesus. And then, Heavenly Father, we pray not just for ourselves, but we pray for others who continue to live in rebellion against you. We acknowledge your grace and your patience with them, but we know, Lord, it will come to an end and you will call them to account. We praise you for your mercy and we ask, Lord, that you would extend mercy to our loved ones, our friends and colleagues and neighbours who are still in rebellion. Use us to be a living witness, to be a verbal witness, to give a verbal witness and to be an example that might convict them and draw them as you draw us to your throne and to your honour and glory. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.